Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. When we host tours to Israel, we always encourage our participants to contact their credit card company in order to alert them to their travels. And that's a good idea for any trips that you take, by the way. When I did that on one of our trips, the first thing the banker asked me was if I'd ever seen miracles in Israel. That really kind of surprised me because that's never the first response I get from people. Usually it's, is it safe? How exciting you get to go to Israel or wow, Israel is the land of the Bible. But it's not. Do you see miracles there? So I realize that the focus of some people is on signs or miracles more than knowing Jesus Christ. I guess that's not unusual since Jesus experienced the same attitude from the people at his time. In Matthew 12, 38 and 39, some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But that's when Jesus answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. What are signs used for in Scripture? What do they point to? Is it okay to look for signs? I'm Debbie Blank. Today we're going to see a couple of miraculous signs in heaven that we'll closely examine to understand God's dealings with his people. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. As Revelation 12 opens, we see two amazing, incredible signs light up the sky. Together in their symbolism, they tell the important background story of the furious spiritual warfare that's been going on all around us. These signs and symbols will take us back in history to the most ancient of times and forward into the future until the end of the tribulation. God wants us to be clear about the causes of the conflict and the reasons for what is about to happen quickly in the final bowl judgments. Prepare to be amazed at what you are about to see. When we study Revelation, we have noticed that everything goes in sequence as to the timing of the end days, the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, the eternal heaven and earth, and all the things that are encompassed in that. There are a few chapters or a few passages that stop in the middle of this chronological order and they give us some information. In this case, we're going to stop and go back to the past to understand what's going to go on in the future. So let's begin by looking at Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Let's dissect that a little bit. First of all, it starts out by saying a great sign appeared in heaven. Great, not just a sign. Rarely in scripture do you see a great sign, but this is one of those. So what is a sign? In the Greek, it's simeon. It means miracle. Obviously, if you're seeing the sign in heaven, it's a miracle. But generally, people are looking for miracles when they're looking for signs. They want a particular sign to authenticate something. That's why the Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign to prove that he was the Messiah. He knew they wouldn't follow the sign anyway. They would probably just rationalize it away in their own thinking because their hearts weren't ready to see or hear Jesus. 
But signs can be used by God for different reasons. For example, Jesus performed signs. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter was speaking the first sermon after Pentecost, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So Jesus performed a lot of miracles and signs. And those, whether it was healing someone or raising someone from the dead, were all designed to point to God for those who would believe. But oftentimes Jesus didn't perform signs or miracles when people wouldn't believe. For example, in Matthew 16, 1 and 3, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up to Jesus testing him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied by saying, when it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? So he was criticizing them, looking for a sign for him, but they had no idea that they were looking at the Messiah right then, who was the sign, truly the Messiah's redemption plan for this world. So signs are used for all different kinds of things. The difference of these signs is they're in heaven. And the signs that are in heaven we know are true and are given to us for our edification. So this is something that we're supposed to understand is this first sign of the woman. And she is described as being clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. There's been a lot of discussion about the identity of this woman. But if you get right down to it and you just say, is there anywhere else in Scripture, because we let Scripture interpret Scripture, is there anywhere else in Scripture that we see a description like that? And there is one place in Scripture, isn't there? And there is in Genesis 37, 9. You may recall that when Joseph was young, he had dreams and he would relate them to his brothers. They didn't like to hear those dreams because they always seemed to elevate Joseph in their stature and decrease their importance. Now, this passage reads as he's telling them his vision that he had dreamt. Now, he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. You can imagine how angry his brothers were. That's probably why, along with other reasons, that they put him in a pit and then ended up selling him as a slave because he always was so arrogant or seemingly so. But clearly this was a dream from God. As you say, we must let scripture check out other parts of scripture. That's how we find out if something is accurate or what it means. As we look at this sign, it says a sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, moon, stars, and, a, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out being in labor. Now we're going to learn later on that the woman was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, Satan would devour her. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who's to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. We'll get to those in a minute, but that gives us a little clearer picture to this woman. There's a lot of people who say this woman is Mary. Because Mary is the one who gave birth to the male child, Jesus, who is to rule the world with a rod of iron. But the context doesn't fit right here. If you're saying Mary, then you're really relating the idea of the church. Well, the focus throughout the entire book of Revelation, starting in chapter 4, is on Israel, not on the church. 
No mention is made of the church until you get to the end of the book, and then it's only mentioned once. It's all about Israel. Chapter 11, we talked about Jerusalem. Chapter 11, we talked about the temple. There's 800 references in this book to the Old Testament and very few to the church itself. So that tells us that we're referring here to the woman as Israel, not to the church, not to Mary, because it is Israel where the promises of the Messiah were given. It was Israel to where the Messiah was born. He wasn't born into the Catholic Church. He was born into Israel. By the way, oftentimes in Scripture, when you're talking about a religious system, it's referred to as a woman. So here we're talking about a religious system, which would be Israel. The Jews are a nation, and they're also a religious system. Going back to Genesis 7-9 and Joseph's dream and what he said to his father. Now, his brothers were easily offended by his dreams, but this time his father Jacob is offended by his dream, and he interprets the dream. He says, for us to understand, do you really think that your mother and I and your brothers would all bow down to you? And so we know that the nation of Israel began with Jacob and his 12 sons. So Jacob encapsulates that in his response. He tells us that they're talking about the nation Israel that is about to come out of his family. He has the prophetic insight to give us the answer to what that means. Absolutely. And we need to cross-reference that with Scripture to understand it. Now let's go into another sign because this explains the first sign a little bit. In Revelation 12, 3, the passage reads, And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadem. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child." We'll stop here. There's so much in this passage that we need to discuss to understand. So you have two great signs in heaven. One is Israel, who is going to have a male child, the Messiah. The other one is the great red dragon. If we look later in verse 9, it tells us that the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. This example, this illustration of the great red dragon is actually Satan. Now, how is he described? He has seven heads and ten hordes, and on his head were seven diadems. In the scripture, there are two kinds of crowns. One is a Stephanos. Up in verse 1, it talks about the woman having a Stephanos crown on her head. That's a victor's crown. When you see Satan in verse 3, he's got a diadem. That's a kingly crown. There's only three times you see the word diadem. One of them is right here relating to Satan. In chapter 13, verse 1 in Revelation, we're going to see that the beast is described as having a diadem. And finally, in chapter 19, verse 12, we see Jesus as having a diadem. That tells us that at different points in this tribulation period, Satan's going to be king. And we know, because we've talked about that before, about the king of the world being Satan's right now. Well, he is wearing a kingly crown. The Antichrist, in chapter 13, which we'll see, for a period of time, wears a kingly crown. 
But ultimately, Jesus is the victor, and he will be the one who will wear the victor's crown at the end of all this and taking it for the rest of eternity after that. And I'm noticing, looking back here, when it says, another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, and there's that word great that you brought out before, that word great red dragon. So this is a mega dragon. This is a really impressive dragon. He has seven heads. And I heard somebody say one time that seven being the number of completion, that it might indicate that this is a very intelligent beast, that he has a very high IQ, has comprehensive understanding, not omniscient, because God, only God is omniscient. So he's not as great as God, but he's pretty smart. He's pretty crafty. He's pretty deceptive. And so we need to respect that about him. And then the ten horns having to do with power and authority. It's not like we're supposed to look at this fiery red dragon as if it's a cartoon character, but it is more an assessment of what his true character is. He's fierce, and he's deceptive, and he's mean. We have seven, not just one terrible, ugly dragon face. We have seven because his character is vile and fierce. We see what you're describing in Ezekiel 28 that talks about who Satan actually is and what happened. It actually begins in verse 12 when it says, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the garden of Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. It goes on to say at the end of verse 13, you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways until unrighteousness was found in you. Satan has wisdom, it says here. He was powerful. He was a cherubim. He covered God's holiness. That's who he was. God would only place him there if he was extremely wise and he had amazing abilities. So this guy knows what he's doing. Unfortunately, pride got a hold of him and he wanted to be like God. Because of that, he fell, according to Isaiah 14. Unrighteousness was found in him. So let's understand, this guy's crafty. There is nobody on the face of the earth that is as intelligent or wise or crafty or powerful as Satan is. Now, God is the ultimate in power and wisdom and omniscience and being everywhere where Satan isn't. But as far as created beings, Satan is the ultimate in wisdom, also in evil. We know that Satan is the great deceiver. He's the father of all lies. He's really ugly and vile, but he can appear as an angel of light. So we need to be really wise about Satan, who he is and his tactics. And one of the things that he's going to be able to do is he's going to be able to perform false signs and false miracles. How do we discern that? Satan has the ability to perform signs. That's why he was able to take Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 to different places in the world and try and tempt Jesus. We know from 2 Thessalonians 2.9, which reads, The one who is coming is in in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Oh boy, is he going to display signs all over the earth. They're going to try and draw people to him. And Jesus warns us about that. In Matthew 24, the prophecy passage where Jesus tells us what's going to happen in the future, several times he says, be careful so that you are not misled. 
He even says in Matthew 24, 4, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So Satan and his demons can perform these false signs to try and get people's attention. That's why we cannot focus on signs. Now, the apostles performed miracles. In Acts 6, 8, it said Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So God can do signs. God's people can do signs, but Satan can too. If we focus on the signs, we won't know what's true and what's not. Then we have to think about Gideon. Gideon asked for a sign from God in order to confirm what God was telling him was going to happen. That's something that we as humans do sometimes in order to receive affirmation from God that this is his direction. This is where he wants us to go. I do ask, as Gideon did, that God would show me a fleece, we call them because of Gideon's story. Give me a fleece. I will lay out something and then say, okay, God, I just need to know. I've done that just a few times in my life, and each time God has answered it, which I needed at that time because I needed his direction. But ultimately, our focus needs to be on seeking Jesus Christ because signs can be false. People can be false, and we want the truth. That's why God wants us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us rather than signs that can be deceptive. So Satan, he's the great wet dragon having seven heads. You have to wait until we get to chapter 17 to really start understanding that. But in chapter 17, what it says is verse three and then nine through 11, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and 10 horns. So there's a beast also who has seven heads and 10 horns. We know from Revelation 13 too, that the beast, the Antichrist is described that way as having seven heads and 10 horns. So there's a correlation, the Antichrist, Satan, and now the beast that's being ridden by the religious system. They have all described as seven heads and 10 horns. In verse nine of Revelation 17, it says, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Now that's understood to be previous governments that have controlled Israel that Satan has been ultimately behind in all of their works. And we'd be talking then about Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome. Those countries, those nations who destroyed Israel or took them captive. It goes on to say in verse 10 of Revelation 17, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive as authority as kings with the beast for one hour. And they have one purpose. They give their power and authority to the beast. There we're talking about the final world government that's going to have a leader, the beast, the Antichrist, but it has 10 horns, so that's 10 kings or 10 governments or 10 international units that are brought together, which also match up with the 10 toes on the statue in Daniel chapter 2 as the final world kingdom that are going to give their power to the Antichrist, which is why Satan and the Antichrist are seen as having 10 horns. So, so far we have two characters. We have the woman who represents Israel, and we have 
the red dragon, who is Satan. And then there's a third character that comes on the scene. The woman is about to give birth. She's in agony because she's about to give birth. And then she does give birth to a male child. How does this third figure influence what's going on in the scenes? Well, before that happens, we're told in verse 4 that Satan's tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That's a past historic situation that occurred where when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. In Job chapter 38, 7, we can learn that angels are referred to as stars of heaven. So that gives us an idea of how many demons there are in the world. They were originally angels, but they followed Satan to go and do his bidding. We don't know how many angels there are that God created. They are created beings. We don't know that. But we do know that there's a lot of demons out there. One-third demons and two-third angels. The good outnumber the bad two to one. And so they were all thrown down to earth. And then it goes on in verse 4 to say, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Well, we know that Israel gave birth. So did Mary, obviously, as the human. But we're talking about a religious system here. Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ. And what did Satan try and do? To destroy Jesus. Why? Why would he care about that? Well, the reason being is if he could destroy Jesus, Jesus could not redeem the world. And then the world would completely be in sin, and he'd have all of the world in hell with him for all eternity. That's what he wants because he hates us. He doesn't want any good for us. He wants to destroy the Messiah. He would also then discredit God because everything that God had prophesied regarding Christ's first coming and his second coming, everything that God had promised the Israelites throughout the whole Old Testament, all the promises of God would be negated. That can't happen because God is not a God that lies or sins. God is omniscient. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He's perfect. He would only tell us the future that's going to happen if it's going to happen. But Satan is doing his bidding, so he tried to destroy Jesus. Think about that. You have Herod. When Jesus was two years old, King Herod killed all the male children in Bethlehem to and under in order to try and destroy Jesus Christ, the king he was known as then. You have Egypt. Egypt tried to destroy all the children that were born after a certain period, all the male children, so that they could no longer increase in numbers. And then, of course, you had the Pharaoh trying to kill all the Jews when he went after them after they had left Egypt. You have Hitler who tried to kill all the Jews. He killed half the Jews on the face of the earth, all of which were empowered by Satan to do Satan's bidding against God's chosen people. There are so many others, even going back to Cain and Abel. Perhaps this seed that was predicted to crush the devil's seed, perhaps he thought that was going to be Abel. And so inspired that murderousness in Cain to kill his brother. So it goes way back to then where he wants to crush the seed that will crush his kingdom. And so he's done a pretty good job of trying to go after the nation of Israel to prevent the birth of this child. As we go to verse 5, it identifies who the child is. And I don't think it's going to be very hard for people to identify this. It says, And she gave birth to a son, a male, who is going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And we'll just stop there because it changes a little bit in the next verse. 
the identity of this male child. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. That is clearly a prophesying of Jesus Christ. That phrase, rule with the rod of iron, is only used three times in the New Testament, all of which are in the book of Revelation and all of which refer to Jesus Christ or his followers. We can go back to Psalm 2 where we see this, referring to the Messiah, because Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm focusing on the future of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus will rule the world with a rod of iron. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 19:15, it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, and that's Jesus' mouth, so that with it he may smite down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. This is talking about Jesus. And it says her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Well, we know that Jesus was resurrected. The word here, by the way, caught up is harpazo, which is the same word used in the rapture of the church. So we're talking about a past situation here. The signs in heaven represent a past situation with Israel begetting the Messiah as was promised, and then Satan, who is known as the evil one, trying to destroy the Messiah. These are past events. But now the very last verse we see in our discussion today is Revelation 12, 6, which says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. Well, now we've come to the future. The woman fled into the wilderness to be protected by God. The church is not going to be here during this time in the tribulation period, so it can't be talking about the church. It has to be talking about Israel. Who's Satan going to try and persecute in the whole end times tribulation period? Israel. The reason being is if the Jews can be destroyed again in the future, then Christ can't come back to fulfill his promises for the Jews. So Satan's going to try in the future to destroy Israel because he wasn't able to do it in the past. And it says here specifically by the middle of the tribulation, Israel's going to flee to the wilderness where God's going to supernaturally protect her. Guess what? We're going to see a sign here where God miraculously protects her. But this sign is going to be on earth. Remember how he took care of the Jews in the wilderness? They had food, they had water, their sandals didn't wear out. They had everything they needed. That's impossible for 40 years to have that happen unless God is the one protecting them. He's going to do the same thing here in the tribulation period for 1260 days, which is the last half of the tribulation period. Well, that's quite something that we've seen these signs here. What does that mean to us? Well, God's provided us a glimpse into his people, Israel, and their prominent role in these end times. He's also shown us how Satan's going to be alive and well, the hatred and the evil against Israel and against anybody on the earth that protects Israel. It's important that we look to God for direction and answers instead of miracles. We see miracles here, but our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ and what he's doing. God performs miracles, so does Satan. We didn't talk about those, but he can perform miracles too. Can't raise from the dead, only God can do that. So it's easy to be misled by miracles if that's what we're looking at. 
our eyes need to be fixed solely on Jesus Christ and his word for the truth, not on miraculous things, not on what people are saying or prophesying these days, because we don't know if they're true. We need to focus on Jesus Christ. He's coming soon by all practical purpose of these prophecies. We need to be prepared. We need to turn to him today so that we can have the joy to look forward to that eternal kingdom with him. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.